0: Estoy aquí, or I'm
1: here.
0: This song tells the story of a person forced to flee, who had to leave everything behind. But now that he's in a different country, he's able to dream again, and that brings him peace.
1: It was so hard to leave what you love, what really filled you.
0: Simon Arias knows firsthand what it's like to leave your home. He was a composer and conductor in Venezuela, but he had to give up his passion in search of safety.
1: The first month I just wanted to sit down and cry.
0: Simon no longer relies on just his memories. He's immersed in music again. He composed this song. And not only is Simon now realizing his dreams, he's part of a group helping others do the
1: same. If tomorrow I had to go somewhere else, these are the moments that I will treasure the most of what we managed to do here in Chile.
0: This is Forced to Flee, a podcast from UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency.
2: I'm Anita Rani. Episode 6 new
1: beginnings.
0: It's never easy starting over, especially in a new country. Over the past seven decades, as part of its mandate, UNHCR has helped find ways for refugees to rebuild their lives. Since the agency's inception, there have been three options, as former High Commissioner for Refugees, Sadruddin Aga Khan, explains.
3: Integration in the country of first asylum Resettlement to a country of immigration, where the refugee can find a new home and settle permanently. Or thirdly, repatriation to the country of origin, if and when the refugee is willing to return. The repatriation obviously has to be voluntary repatriation.
0: In this episode, we'll meet people who, against the odds, found ways to start over. And not only are they rebuilding their lives, they're helping others too and enriching their new country.
4: I have found my life project. I found a way to help my country without feeling
5: sad.
4: There's Anna, who's fostering
0: integration through music.
6: We all have a story of wanting to succeed, determined to contribute to our communities.
0: There's Guled. He was discouraged in school. But that didn't stop him, and he's helping make sure it doesn't stop others.
3: Being refugee, then teach me how to be a humble person.
0: But we start with Hamid, who's building a community and helping young refugees one plate at a time.
2: Part one, a table for 40.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to make yogurts for sauce.
2: In the kitchen of Orient
0: Experience, Located just a few steps from one of Venice's famous canals, Igodalo Eddy is mixing together several ingredients.
3: This is called ayran. It's yogurt, water, and mint. So-
0: like most of the staff working here, Igodalo is a refugee. He arrived in Italy in 2016.
3: Yeah, like him, he's from Senegal, and from Nigeria, like Ahmed, he's from Afghanistan. Like Hossein, he's from Bangladesh.
0: Another similarity among the staff, most, didn't have experience working in a restaurant before this. In fact, Dalo says he never used to cook back in Nigeria.
6: Never, but you know, when you travel, whatever you see it for a living, you have
0: to do it. He was given a chance like so many others by the restaurant's founder, Hamid Hamadi. He shared his story with us in July.
3: We are creating family because we are coming here without any, any family member. Most of us, somehow we are alone.
0: Hamid arrived in Italy 15 years ago. He was 24 at the time. He wasn't supposed to stay. It was meant to be a short trip with two colleagues.
3: We presented uh, like a short film and a documentary here in the Venice Film Festival. And the short film created, like criticized badly and uh, created some problem for us to go back in my country. Then we decided to, to remain, applied as an asylum seeker. And then, yeah, our Italian life started like that.
0: Hamid says he knew if he went back to Afghanistan, his life would be in danger. So instead of getting back on a plane, he went to a migrant reception centre. He ended up staying there for eight months. During that time, many unaccompanied young refugees arrived from Afghanistan. The centre hired Hamid to work as an interpreter and cultural mediator.
3: My Italian was not that much great the main reason to invite me was because when I was in the refugee center I was organizing my parties. They were all illegal but it was a way for me to have a kind of language exchange because in Venice we have the faculty of Middle Eastern language and I was inviting always the students who were coming every Sunday in the center and then when they offered me the job, they told me, OK, we know about the existence of those parties, the concept was nice, we can be your sponsor and you can do it, we pay you all the expenses and you you can do it legally in the centre.
0: And what does any good party need? Good food.
3: As I had like 40 guys, not all from my country but also from Iran, from Iraq, from Pakistan, from Bangladesh we had people. so. As we wanted to organise these parties, we said, "Okay, we are in 40s, we would like to offer our food, so let's make a menu.
0: If you've ever tried to throw a party with a large group of people, then you'll know what happened. There were too many cooks in the kitchen. The group suggested more than 60 different dishes. Everyone wanted to include food from their country of origin.
3: I said, okay, let's try another thing. Let's try something in common between ourselves. Most of you had a very long trip, very strange trip, because I know that some of you maybe from the starting point till here, you spent like three years, two years, one year, because you had to cross six, seven, eight borders illegally. And sometimes you have to pay lots of money, maybe something between six and 10,000 euros to reach here.
0: The vast majority at the reception centre didn't have that kind of money. They would often stay in a country and work for months or years, putting together enough for the next leg of their journey.
3: And I said, OK, I would like to understand what was the food that you were eating in in that period. Because if you had to save money, it means that you you were not able to go to the restaurants and eating there. You had to cook for yourself and you had 14, 15, 16 years and for sure it was your first culinary experience, no? And when we started to do this research, I saw that it was very interesting.
0: What Hamid found was creativity and ingenuity. The young people were resourceful, substituting one ingredient or spice for another.
3: Most of the recipes were not original, not from the departure the country and not even the the same recipe of the place that they were in in the middle because maybe they tried to do something from their original recipes but mixed with some ingredients from the country in the middle and yeah the identity of that kind of food was very very special very very based on their experience.
0: Hamid's parties and menu gained popularity. His group was soon invited to other reception centres in other cities.
3: And we did like this for two years, and the third year I said, okay, I have a jewel, and let's make it.
0: Many of the youth in the centre were struggling to find work. Hamid's idea was to use the unique menu and open a restaurant. He raised twenty thousand euros by asking people in the community for money, and in two thousand and twelve, Orient Experience served its first customer. Most of the people who work there are from the reception centre. Some are employees, while others also have the chance of becoming business partners.
3: When I do a new opening, I normally invite the people who are already working inside, maybe as an internship or as a normal colleague now. And they maybe find some resources, some money, maybe they saved or they will ask from other people as I did and
7: they join in in a new restaurant and yeah we start like that i'm working as a waitress when they are they need it and also i'm managing something with other colleagues when they they need i'm going in the kitchen i'm cooking one of those business partners
0: is 33 year old maria kurasani she's also a refugee from afghanistan maria didn't come from the center she was living in rome raising her two young daughters she met hamid on a trip to Venice.
7: And it was so interesting the history of uh, his place, uh, this restaurant. That was uh, his uh, suggestion to me. That, from my experience and the capacity that he found in me, he suggested to become here and start working with him. So
0: Maria doesn't have a background in restaurant management. She studied French literature and was a professor at a university in Kabul. But she was forced to flee because of her outspoken views on female oppression.
7: And for me, everything is uh, starting with the war, Because in my country, we don't, we didn't have had never that uh, right to think. It was always, you have to do this, you have to do this. In my country, men are commanding, you should do that. You are a girl, you are a woman, you don't know nothing sorry, I'm a woman, I, I know better than you. I'm always saying we have to work on women. That's more important. Maybe this generation, it's, it, it, would, it will be so difficult to, to change the mind, but for the next generation, if you want to change a society, if you want to change uh, the mind, we have to work for the new generation. This job
0: allows Maria to work on that next generation. She says the restaurant has given her life new meaning.
7: I'm so happy that in here, a part of being colleagues, we are a family. And I really like to do acting like a sister, like a mother, like a friend, at the same time, teaching how it works, how it managing life, everything, to support them, to stay with them when they're happy, when they're not happy, when they have problems. I'm so happy to be here and have that opportunity and then that capacity to do.
3: It's a kind of jewel in my hand and I would love to, to share it more with, with other people.
0: Helping others is also what drives Hamid. He never expected this turn in his life, but he says he doesn't miss being a filmmaker.
3: I don't miss it because somehow I'm still doing the same job. It's also a film for me, and it's more pure, more natural, and, and I enjoy it more because I feel it more useful. When I always remember my situation of my first year year's situation here, no, it was really difficult. So, somehow till now, I can get a kind of like satisfaction of that.
0: The popularity of the restaurant helped him open more.
3: Now there are four here in Venice.
0: As for what's next for Hamid, he's hoping to get married and have children.
3: (laughs) I would like to keep my daughter's hand in the Venetian street and yeah, and she's uh, like talking with everybody, maybe the Venetian accent.
0: From the kitchen to the classroom and another person trying to help the younger generation. Part
2: two, our various identities.
6: I never really thought I actually came from a refugee background until I came to New Zealand because of my experiences where I was made to feel conscious about these sorts of events and and things.
0: Growing up, Guled Meyer didn't just struggle with his identity, he resented it.
6: I went through so many, so much extent to try and literally disregard all of these, you know, my identity as being black, as being Muslim, and as being a refugee.
0: For Guled, each had negative connotations in his new community.
6: From a black perspective, you know, we were portrayed as the World Vision kids. That's it, that's all they seen. The kids would say, oh hi, you look like the people from the World Vision ad on TV. As a Muslim, we were terrorists. As a refugee, we were poor, and just people who just don't settle in and don't integrate, and we were bombarded with these type of depictions in media. And and then, you know, you've got the the Somali bit. Like, all of these parts of it all have competing negative connotations.
0: Guled was born in Somalia. In the 1990s, the country's prolonged civil war Forced him to flee at a young age. His mother made the difficult decision to leave with her eight children. She was pregnant at the time with her ninth. Guled's father stayed back.
6: He was not very much sold on the idea of leaving his home and felt that he had a sense of responsibility to at least look after his house. And as a result of my father staying, uh, it ended up costing his life. A mortar landed on the house. It was, you know, quite difficult as a kid to try and understand all of these sorts of things.
0: Guled and the rest of his family fled to Kenya. They stayed in a refugee camp before moving to Nairobi, in an area where many Somali refugees lived. He was six years old when they were resettled in Hamilton, New Zealand.
6: Everyone looked different. For the first time in my life, I noticed that I was visibly different. When you come to a place like New Zealand, my experiences are very unique to many other refugees in many other third-country resettlement locations, you know, of experiencing xenophobia, racism, and social exclusion. I mean, I was very much the only black kid in m- most of my classes. There's only been one or two instances where I've had been in a class with one or two other black kids. We felt visibly different, and, and that's something that we were marked for. Even the kids in school would call us, you know. Black Somalian, go back to where you came from.
0: It wasn't just the students who made Guled feel different.
6: You know, I think my teachers in many ways had, I guess, lower expectations of me, which ended up impacting my ability to be able to believe in myself. And, you know, I just had these messages consistently relayed to me. I was bullied in school. I just never really fit into high school. That's where I felt the most confused and lost. I didn't have a good sense of direction in front of me or mentorship or, or people I could look up to or something like that. And eventually, I began to internalize these messages.
0: One of those messages from his teachers was, maybe university wasn't for him. Discouraged, Gulad dropped out of school at 16. He started working, picking fruit, working in a factory, but he felt lost.
6: My mother used to talk about me to all her friends I remember every time I got a certificate or anything. And she'd say, yes, you know, I really believe he's, you know, the most, you know, out of all my kids. Like, you know, she, she'd basically, like, boost me up in that sense, you know, and be like, I think this is the one that will probably be onto to something in that sense. Like, so I noticed the disappointment in her. I felt that.
0: That's when he decided to visit Kenya. He stayed with members of his father's family, who'd also fled Somalia.
6: They didn't even have a functional, you know, bathroom shower or just little things like I just used to take for granted, you know, that just made me reevaluate my circumstances. And I think that journey was something that I was very much inspired by.
0: Back in New Zealand, Gulad applied to go to university as a mature student.
6: I. Ended up, you know, finishing in three years and and went on to do further postgraduate studies. And and now I'm doing my master's at Cornell University in in New York on a a Fulbright New Zealand scholarship. Did I think it would have panned out to the way that things have for me and what I've been able to do um, now, but also in recent times? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not.
0: Before going to the US, Gulad worked as a policy advisor to the New Zealand government. His files included pay equity, health and safety. He advised ministers on bullying and sexual harassment in the workplace. He also worked on diversity and inclusion, refugee resettlement and integration policies. He drew on his own life experiences. For instance, he recalls where his family first lived when they arrived in New Zealand.
6: Refugees are always resettled in predominantly lower socioeconomic neighborhoods. And how do we help foster positive integration? Nobody thought of that. When I really think about it, I'm like, I was actually conditioned to hate so much about myself. I didn't even know that was happening.
0: Guled's contributions extend beyond his policy work. A few years ago, he formed a group to help those with similar experiences.
6: Third culture kid, it's not only understanding your experiences and your parents' experiences.
0: Through storytelling, advocacy and community engagement, the aim is to break down barriers around mental health.
6: I formed Third Culture Minds a couple of years ago, which is a non-profit organisation dedicated to ensuring positive mental health and well-being outcomes for third culture kids. Uh, So that's, you know, the children of refugee and migrant backgrounds. So that's, you know, the work that really drives me where much of my passion lies. Um, And, you know, I was obviously compelled to form third culture minds just because of my own mental health and well-being as well. Like things like grappling with your identity, it can have a significant impact on your well-being.
0: Guled admits that he still grapples with his own identity at times, though he says he is proud to call himself a Somali Kiwi.
6: As a result of this journey that I went through, after I dropped out of school and the travel and the experiences that I've had, I've since been on a journey to reclaim my identity. So um, I take pride in calling myself black, Muslim, Somali, Africa and refugee. All of those are me. I am every single one of them and I'm proud of it. But um, that's where I stand now and it's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful journey to be on. Part three,
2: in concert. Elbows
0: resting on her knees, Ana Marvez leans forward on her couch, a smile on her face as she asks the children on screen to repeat after her. (laughs) The six kids in the virtual class are from Chile and Venezuela. That's the aim of this class, to not only teach children, but bring different communities together through music. It's just one of the many initiatives Ana launched when she arrived in Chile. Ana is a musician. She studied music, education and cultural management back in Venezuela. But she knew she couldn't stay there.
5: In
4: 2016, I graduated with a master's degree. I was working seven days a week. And every day, I was making less. At some point... I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent.
5: Even with the little money she was earning, it was hard
4: to buy what she needed. Things were getting bad, little by little. It's not that everything disappeared from one day to the next, but it got to the point where you had to line up for hours to perhaps get the product you were looking for. I started to butter items, i buy shampoo and trade it for rice.
5: Then there
4: were security
5: concerns.
4: When you left the supermarket, the first moment of panic was that they would steal the food you had just managed to get it. I remember there was a time when the bank wouldn't give me the debit or credit cards that I needed. I had to go with police documents to prove that my cards had been stolen for the fifth consecutive time in the same month. Crime was very, very out of the control. And so in 2015,
0: Ana and her sister decided to leave Venezuela for Chile. Her cousins fled a few weeks earlier, so she had a place to stay initially in Santiago. A few days later, a landlord rented Ana an apartment in the city, even though she didn't have the necessary documents, including any recent pay stubs. Ana considers herself lucky, but it still took her time to adjust.
4: There was a moment I remember getting upset with my sister because we ran out of toilet paper and I was hysterical and yelling at her. Why did we allow it to run out? And she looked at me and said, just go down and buy it. And I started crying because I still had that idea that I am going to have to line up for hours and that I am going to spend weeks without finding it. Then you realize that you are now in a country that gives you peace, that gives you shelter, and gives you the quality of life that you were not going to find in the country you were living in
5: before.
0: Once she settled in, Ana started to hunt for a job. She was able to land a few interviews, but all for careers outside her field.
5: I
4: could be a janitor. I could work in a call center. But finally, the position I took just two weeks after arriving in Chile was a receptionist at an arts academy. At least, it was linked to my profession as an artist. And that made me feel very happy. But that happiness was short-lived. There are about
0: 475,000 Venezuelan refugees and migrants in Chile. She realized other artists from Venezuela were not as lucky. They were struggling.
5: As soon
4: as I started working, day after day, many Venezuelan musicians would come looking for work. They would say, hi, I am a trumpet player, I am a pianist, and so on. I even saw some familiar faces. One day, when I was sitting with my sister, I told her I was very sad. There were so many talented people looking for work. I felt helpless because those talents were going to be lost. And then the idea automatically appeared. I said, what happens if I write a project where I recreate what we did in Venezuela, and it would contribute to the cultural development of Chile? Not a project where we raise funds to help migrant musicians. I didn't want to focus on that, but rather a project where the migrant offers his services to the country. And that is how the idea of the Music for Integration Foundation was born.
0: Anna grabbed a few contact details musicians left behind and started making calls. What started as an idea at her kitchen table morphed into an orchestra, a choir and music classes. Now more than 350 musicians from across Latin America, Venezuela, Colombia, Peru, Mexico, and Chile are part of the foundation.
4: Performers arrived, singers arrived, teachers arrived, musicians from different areas arrived with the desire to collaborate so that the project continues to grow.
0: Among those new arrivals, composer and conductor Simon Arias. He fled Venezuela with his wife in
5: 2017. Most people involved
1: in this type of activity in Venezuela, we love what we did. From the moment we woke up in the first hour of the day until the end of the day, we breathe music from Monday to Saturday. We work full speed every day. Para mi tristeza, Violeta Azul
0: But Simón felt he had no choice but to leave it all behind. When he arrived in Chile, he worked for a furniture company, though he longed to stand in front of an orchestra again, with an audience behind him.
1: If you're a musician, artist, composer, performer, you have to train like an athlete. You may teach kids to play football, but if you yourself don't practice at high performance levels you begin to lose your abilities.
5: At the end of 2018,
0: he discovered Anna's foundation.
1: I was given the opportunity to conduct again after almost two years without holding the button or doing anything. And I can't deny that it was very emotional, but I was also very nervous because I say, whoa, to what extent do we still have the ability to conduct an orchestra of 50, 60 musicians and have them respond to me? But it only took one or two rehearsals to make the adjustment. I could see that I was well on track because this path is eternal.
2: (laughs)
0: Simon was tasked with conducting Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. He also wanted to try something a bit different. Taking inspiration from the foundation, he composed his own song, one that brought
1: together
5: different sounds. The sounds
1: are in a climate of great uncertainty, beats of typical Venezuelan songs, and it is linked with sounds typical of Chile. There are pieces of the Chilean national anthem. There are many elements that are typical here.
4: He wanted to tell how he began to unite his sadness of his departure from Venezuela with the joy of reaching a country where he found stability. And in the middle of all that story, he integrates a romance, like Romeo and Juliet, where there is this love that seems impossible, but it's not, between a Venezuela woman with a Chilean
5: man. Una con un chileno.
0: The orchestra was able to perform the song only twice. The pandemic put an end to all concerts and rehearsals in Chile. Ana says the last few months have been a struggle, especially for the musicians who relied on the extra income. The foundation only makes money from classes and some concerts. Most are free or are sponsored by groups. Ana hopes when the pandemic is over, the foundation can expand to other parts of Chile and its members can return to what they love best, music.
4: I see children living the way we grew up, traveling the entire country, showing their talent and developing and expanding their talent. I see some musicians who no longer need another job to continue to survive but now live and work within the foundation in a stable way and the joy of continuing to be a contribution to the country that received us siendo un
5: aporte para el país que nos recibió
4: Cuando, cuando uno sale de un país en crisis When you leave a country in crisis, you leave to help yourself, but with the sadness of not having been able to change the reality there. But when I arrived in Chile, I found a way to continue helping my people through a project as beautiful as the foundation. A project that every day I realize is the project that will accompany me
5: for the rest of my life. the rest of my vida.
0: In our next episode, we'll explore how it's becoming even more difficult to find long-term solutions. Last year saw the lowest level of resettlement in nearly two decades. Around 23,000 refugees were resettled through UNHCR, compared to an average of 100,000 in the last decade.
1: And it is worrying because if rich countries don't allow people to access their territory to seek asylum, what should poorer countries that are receiving many, many, many more asylum seekers, what should they do?
0: We leave you with music from Anna's Foundation.
2: Forced to flee. Is produced, written, and mixed by Wakas Chugtai. I'm the editor, Shirley Camia. Additional production support and voiceovers in this episode by Arturo Almenar, Rocio Castaneda, Yona Tukundane, and freelance journalist, Mary Armel Lafori. Special thanks to UNHCR's team in Chile. The opening song was composed by Simone Arias. And was performed by Pablo Gonzalez and to members of the Music for Integration Foundation. Visual Design, Marketing, and Social Media by Red Havas. Our executive producer is Barney Thompson. And our host is UNHCR Goodwill Ambassador Anita Rani. To learn more about the UN Refugee Agency, visit UNHCR.org slash Force to Flee Podcast.